0: We are in a brand new series. We kicked it off last week called Church in the Wild. Uh, I believe we're living in wild times. Can I get an amen? Uh, last week we, we shared just a little bit about how important it is for us to understand the time that we're living in. I shared last week we, uh, SatanCon, sold out in a matter of just minutes. SatanCon, the largest satanic gathering in America's history, uh, is going to be happening coming up in the upcoming months. We're living in wild times. We saw a crazy demonic uh, Grammy performance take place. Now that's not on cable TV. That's TV. It's on just regular TV that this took place. So we're living in wild times. Now, many people might be like, well, pastor, you know, we I can't believe we're living in these times. You know, we really drew the short end of the stick. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We get to live in these times. God chose us for such a time as this. We get to go and be the light and make a difference yeah. because the scripture teaches us that in these last days, God is going to empty himself. He's going to pour himself out on the earth. And um, it's funny because I was, you know, pastors talk. Um, really funny to each other as you're going through content and different interactions. And I heard one pastor I was on the phone with this week, he said, you know, it's kind of like when you're either getting ready to go on vacation or you're in in vacation, on vacation, and and, and you bought all this food, you have all this food, but you know, hey, this is about to come to an end. And so you're like, let's get it all at the end. Let's just do it all at the end. And uh, that's not funny to you. None of you do that. Okay, well, apparently we're gluttons, but... uh, (laughs) But hey, you're getting, hey we got to eat all this food because we're about to be gone. And, and so the idea here is like, hey, if this is the end time, if we're all about to be gone, God's like, hey, get it all, guys. Get it all. It's the end. Let's just get it. Anybody want to get it all? You know what I'm talking about? I don't think you do, but that's okay. <laughs> But this is the wild. We're in the wild and God is pouring himself out. And you see it happening all over. We see uh, the, the movie Jesus Revolution was a blockbuster that nobody saw coming. It's also landed at the same time where we see revivals and outpourings or expressions of God love, whatever you want to call it, happening at college campuses all over the place. And so you see God doing these unique movements at this unique time. And we've been saying all along, hey, it's not that we're going to try to copy that, but we certainly want to cooperate with it. We certainly don't want to miss the way that God is moving. And I love when pastor said, hey, we know what God is doing it is, is on the horizon. This amazing end time move of how God is going to move in signs and wonders and do the miraculous. And, and we know that that's coming. We can see that storm of God on the horizon. But even what we're seeing right now that gets us excited, that's just the spit on the windshield. It's just the beginning of what God is really getting ready to do. And we're already excited about just that. And so excited to be in this series called Church in the Wild. We believe uh, that God is moving in power and He's called us to be a part of it. Amen. So today, the title of my sermon this week is we're going to be talking about wild honesty. Wild honesty. Why don't you bust out your tablets and your notepads, however you can take notes. You know that you're four times more likely to remember what you hear if you write it down. So I encourage you to do that. And then let's pray, and we'll jump into wild honesty. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for today. Lord, I know that we all come from different experiences into this room. Uh, but God, we know that we're setting our attention on the same God who is a God that desires to speak to us. So God, I pray that in this sermon, no matter our background, God, I pray that we hear something and receive something from you today that changes us and makes us better and calls us into the people that we're called to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Said so the title of this sermon is Wild Honesty. I believe we're, in the, we're the church in the wild, and, and I believe that we're living in a time where we need wild honesty. Now, I think if you heard that idea, you're probably somebody who's sitting here being like, yeah, yeah, we need wild honesty. We need we need to say it like it is. We need to stand up to the darkness in this world and we need to go get them. That's the wild honesty we need. And I bet you're excited to hear me say that's what we're going to do is get up and stand up. And we're going to stand up to what the enemy's doing in culture. But no, the wild honesty that I'm talking about is we need wild honesty about our own lives. We need some wild honesty about taking a look at our own lives and and our own man and woman in the the mirror and saying, hey, hey God, what what does that person need to change? God, if we're going to see your outpouring and we're going to see a move and we're going to see you make a difference, I believe that all first starts with us. Can I get an amen today? Uh, There's this thing that we don't even talk about in church anymore. It's this thing called sin. I believe that sin hinders. How many of you believe that? How many of you know, I believe that sin holds us back and sin sets us back and sin downgrades us from the way that God's called us to live. But I believe that God has also given us this great gift called this thing called repentance. This ability to say, God, I need your forgiveness and I, I need you to help me change. Now, repentance means this. Repentance means to do a 180. You were once going this way and you were living it this way and you were making decisions this way. And then all of a sudden you said, God, I can't be this person anymore. I need to do a 180. I need to repent and I need to start going this way. where we ask for forgiveness and God answers and we get to walk in a new kind of life that's repentance and that's that's how we overcome these lifestyles of sin Uh, I thought about it like this you're sitting in the room right now and you're going awesome I showed up to church on time change Sunday and he's going to tell me how much of a sinner I am (laughs) exactly I figured you'd be in a bad mood anyway with the time (laughs) loss we might as well get it out of the way Joking aside, the reason you might feel that way is because the church has done a terrible job talking about sin and repentance. The the church has done a horrible job to the point that most people think this, oh, I can't come to church. I don't have my life put together yet. There's no way I could go and gather with the other people and worship and hear a word and listen to what the pastor's got to say because I just got way too much things in my life. I got way too much happening. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. So once I get myself cleaned up, then I'll go to church. But the reality about church is church is not a museum for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. This is where we all come limping and broken and bleeding through that front door, and we say, Thank God I made it, because through some repentance and some asking and desiring and seeking out to God, I can find what I need today. Are you with me, church? And so I want to first erase the stigma of, Oh, pastor's talking about sin. Oh, I'm going to be so shameful and condemned. You know, that repentance is the most freeing thing you can experience. Every person in this room who's ever sat down and maybe bent a knee or, or bowed their head or, or put their hands together and said, God, I, I've been messing this up. Will you forgive me? i repent of the way that I've been living. I can tell you that it's been the most freeing thing they've ever experienced. Nobody's ever bowed a knee in repentance and said, God, will you help me with this? And then felt worse after. No, you find freedom because that's God's design for us to overcome the sinful nature that we walk in. Are you with me today? Wild honesty is what we're talking about today. Wild honesty in our own life. I don't think we need to be a people who say, hey, we need to go get them. Our prayer is, God, get me today. Get me today in the ways that I need to be corrected. I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, repentance is ultimate honesty. Repentance is like the highest form of honesty where we can say, God, This is my life, and these are my actions, and these are my thoughts, and these are my decisions, and I'm going to be totally honest with you that I need your help in this. We have this mindset, though, of to fix the world, we need God to go get them, and God's like, no, we need to get us. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 talks about it. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will clearly see to be able to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We walk around and we share things on Facebook. That's like a getcha and gotcha. And we need to get that person. Look at them; they got sawdust in their eye. We need to get that out of here and get out of there. And God's like, hey, what about your own eye? Let's take care of our own stuff first, church. Let's get back to a lifestyle of an altar place where we can, on a daily basis, come and say, God, these are the things that I'm laying at your feet because I know that your cross is paid for all this and I don't have to carry this and live in this. And so this, is, are you with me? And I need repentance and I need to humble myself. Why? Because, because I, I want your clear vision for my life. I thought about it like this. If we, um, if we took an alien, we just go get an alien. We bring him here to earth and, and, we, and we're going to teach him some things about Christianity. Some of you weirdos are like, he believes too. <laughs> that was an example, not a statement, okay. <laughs> so so we, we get somebody who has no idea of like the things of America, of our culture or anything, and we say, hey, hey, I want you to know about Christianity. I'm gonna boil this thing down for you. I'm gonna make it really clear. Here's some things you have to know when it comes down to the, the core and the fundamentals and the basics of Christianity. Here's some things that you need to know. But let me give it to you an example and maybe of like driving a car. And so I would begin to tell this person, I would say, hey, the first thing you need to know about living the Christian life and following God is you, you must accept salvation. That's the start of it all. So salvation is like the key. It starts the engine. It gets the car going. We understand that salvation is important. Uh, there's no other way to heaven but through Jesus. And so he provided for us salvation. So we understand that. So, so that's the key. Another thing that we would know is we would know that in order to drive that car, you got to be able to press the gas and press the brake and turn the steering wheel. That's how you navigate through life. And so I would begin to explain that's what praying is, and that's what God's word is, and that's what worship is. It's where we take God's word, and we we help steer the wheel, and we pray, and we help. And so that's a pretty good way for us to understand uh, how we would live and navigate and make it through things. Then the other thing I would say that's really important when it comes to Christian living is righteous living. The scripture talks about how we need to be a people with clean hands and empty hands. Yeah. Our hands not full of the things of this world. We, there's a purity. There's a righteousness. There's a standard that God calls us to. Yeah. And unfortunately, in too many churches, they don't even talk about sin anymore. I yeah. imagine of the hundreds of thousands of sermons that are being preached today, up at the very low percent is actually a good old sermon on sin and repentance. Yeah. I'm okay being in the low category today. <laughs> Sin and repentance, it's it's a huge part. So it'd be another category. Righteous living is something you have to understand. Salvation is important in God's word and worship and prayer. All these things are key components. But one thing that you have to understand is righteous living. Well, how do you live righteously? We live with people with, with a mindset of we're going to be a people who at all cost avoid sin. We don't make compromises and excuses for sin. We don't coddle sinful lifestyles and habits in our life. This would be my example when it comes to a car. It would be like, okay, hey, you have salvation. That starts the car. Uh, You have all your navigation, prayer, everything I just mentioned. Now, righteous living is the fuel. So you open up this thing, and what do you need to put in a car? You need to put in some very pure gasoline, don't you? I mean, if you're running low on gas, you can't say, hey, why don't you get some water? We can throw a little dirt in there. We just got to get the tank full. You know, that would do damage. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And So when we allow sin and the sludge of sin and the things of sin into our life, it's like, we're, it's like we're substituting a very refined way of living that God has called us to. And I'm going to explain it more in a minute. This purity kind of living, which does what? Gets the best kind of life out of us. Refure, refined fuel. Uh, I thought about it. We live in a time right now where culture uh, not only understands sin, but they actually glorify it. You look in the most top artists and some of the songs that are being, it's a glorification of sin. You look at the music videos and different things that they, it's a glorification of sin. Then we also see that we are putting laws in place in America where not only do we justify the sin, we legalize these sins. We're literally putting things in place where we're saying, hey, this this we know to be a sin. God has called us not to be this way, but we're going to legalize it and we're going to approve of it. So culture has a big misunderstanding of the weight and the damage of sin. We know in the beginning, Genesis, we see the first sin. You got to take a look at the first sin. What was the first sin and what began to happen around the first sin? We know Adam and Eve, they were put in the garden. Scripture calls it paradise, right? So God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. It's beautiful, and it's perfect weather, and uh, it's basically Zealand, you know, right? <laughs> and, uh, but birds chirping, everything's in bloom. They're just walking in the sunshine, and Bob Marley's playing like it's perfect. It's paradise. The scripture says that they choose sin. We know that God created it to be the best way to live. Hey, this is the best way to live. It's, it's this paradise that I've made for you. It's the best way to live. They're with God. the scripture says that they choose sin, which when you begin to read the scripture, you begin to understand that when they chose sin, they then chose a downgrade for their life. They went from paradise. They went from perfect relationship with God and and they had all of this for them. And then when they choose sin, the scripture said that they begin for the first time to feel shame and nakedness and distance from God. Remember the scripture said they went into hiding. There was just this distance. Why? Because sin always downgrades our life sin always downgrades our life. I don't know about you, but I don't usually sign up for downgrades i don 't show up to the hotel and say, "Hey, welcome, Mr. Reese. We have you in the presidential suite today, and everything 's going to be amazing and everything 's going to be." However, before you check into your room, I want to let you know that just across the parking lot, you see that little motel over there, uh, that one yeah, yeah, that one there, and of the lights are working, and you know all the kind of... uh, that motel over there could actually be available to you, and we 're really excited about it because we 've got the Roach infeston down to just a moderate level, and uh, that could be yours today should you choose to downgrade to that and I would be like, of course i 'm not going to do that, is it like well, it's actually going to end up costing you more once you choose that lifestyle of downgrading. The effects of that are going to get you even more later. Would you like to do that today? I would be like, no, I'm good. I'm going to choose a downgrade. Who chooses downgrades? You don't see people standing in line outside of the Apple store trying to go get downgraded old models. Hey, what are you doing here today? Oh, I heard the iPhone from four years ago is uh, refurbished. No one does that. Nobody, nobody chooses to downgrade. Well, that's what sin does in our life. We get tricked. We get deceived and we go, oh, this looks like it might be better. But the reality is we fall for the downgrade. People say to me all the time, pastor, I don't know how you're a pastor or a Christian, you know, Christianity, man, it's just what a bummer. What a buzzkill. There's just no fun to that. And it's full of so many rules. But the reality is the more you get to know God, the more you realize that the Bible's full of more promises for your life than it is any kind of restriction. And anytime it's a restriction, it's actually a restriction in a loving way. I've been saying it to you like this before, is the creator knows how to get the best kind of life out of our life. The creator knows how to get the best function because it created it. I've said it about this microphone. If I wanted to know how to get the best function out of this microphone, I would go to its creator, and he would be like, well, it was created to be this way. Well, when God set laws and principles in place, and he says, oh, don't do those things, what he's saying is don't do those things because those aren't better for you. Live this way. It's better for you. It's better for you to live according to God's standards. And so young person, when God is like, hey, save yourself for marriage. Oh, what a, what a bummer, God. What a buzzkill. No, no, no. That's going to save you a lot of heartache. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to save you a lot of pain and destruction if you say, hey, I'm going I'm to save myself. God's saying, hey, that's not the best way. The best way is to be pure yeah. and say, oh, well, you know, I, I just got this mindset of like, man, I'm just living for the weekend. And so my whole mindset is the only time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience fun in my life and glory in my life is just finally when I clock out on Friday and I get to the weekend, Miller time, and that's going to be the best. God's like, no, 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 that's not the best. A lifestyle of pursuing me and desiring my kingdom here, honor. Are you with me today? And so God is, God is not this angry lightning bolt restricting. He's just saying, no, don't do that. That's not good. It's better to do this. It would be as if I had you come over to my house, like, hey, I'm going to have you house sit. And uh, Just like God did to Adam and Eve, he said to Adam and Eve, he said, hey, of this garden, of this this paradise I made you, you can freely eat of anything, but just not of that tree. Because if you eat of that tree, you'll surely die and it will be harmful for you. You don't want to eat of that tree. It would be the same if I had you come over to my house and I was like, hey, hey, I'm so excited, your house sitting for us. Uh, Our whole cabinets, our refrigerator, like everything is totally stocked. You can freely eat of anything you want which would be a bummer for you because Jess has us counting our macros. We don't have any good food in our house. But if we weren't, it would be like, yeah, Dorito, whatever you want. You can freely eat of anything that you want. But you'll notice in the refrigerator there's this glass jar with a skull and crossbones on it, and it says cyanide. And so you can freely eat of anything you want, but don't, don't, don't drink that. Does that make me some angry tyrant who's trying to take the fun out of your life? No, it's me who's being protective and saying, hey, I want you to enjoy all of this pleasure that I've created for you, but don't do that because that, that's going to be bad for you. And that's what the whole scriptures are when they're like, hey, uh, avoid these lifestyles, avoid these thought patterns, avoid this way of living, this sinful way of living. Why? Because it's worse for you. It will downgrade you. Can I get an amen today? I imagine God looks down and, and maybe has some frustration. Because it's frustrating when you see somebody doing something that's not the way it should be. So God's looking down. He's like, oh, I can't believe they're making those decisions. How frustrating. If they just did this, it would be so much better. And I experienced that as a parent. Uh, My son just got back into collecting. uh, Well, he got into it for the first time. I used to do it as a kid, but he's collecting sports cards. If you don't know anything about sports cards, they come in these sealed little packages and because they're valuable, uh, they're pretty tightly sealed. And so to open the top of it can be a little bit tricky. And, uh, and he's eight years old. And so he's also trying to be super careful because they're valuable. And dad said, but you super careful. But I'm sitting here as a very patient dad, <laughs> watching him do it the wrong way. And, so he's like, <sighs> and I, it's like, I'm taking forever. And I'm like, we want to see what the cars. are. I'm like, oh, my gosh, just let you me do it. it. You're doing it the wrong way. My, my youngest daughter, she's four years old. She just started playing video games. And so she's on there like doing all the things. And I'm just sitting on the couch with my son who's eight. And we're just looking at each other like, oh, this is driving me crazy. Why? Because it's hard to watch somebody do it the wrong way, right? Have you ever wanted to jump in and be like, you're doing that the wrong way? I just imagine that's probably even God. That's why he gave us his word yeah. of like, oh, gosh, don't do it that way. Let me help you understand so that you can do it the best way. Yeah. Amen. So if you've ever gone to church and had an experience where it's like you're a sinner, and God hates you because you're the slum of the earth and you shouldn't be a sinner because God's some angry God. That's not, that's not how God yeah. intends to speak about sin. God's like this, hey, that's not the best way. Yeah. Let me help you do it better yeah. so that you can experience the fullness in me. I mean, you know what I'm talking yes. about today. Yeah. That's why John ten ten says it this way. The thief, speaking of the enemy, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, downgrade. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full not to be some lightning bolt, angry throwing God, but to show you the better way to live. Come to show you the better way to live. Romans six twenty three says this, says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've ever seen somebody sin and immediately die on the spot. You ever seen that? I sure hope not. But it says that for the wages of sin is death. You make a sin, you just die on the spot. The other thing that's weird about that is Genesis is like, hey, if you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. Well, they didn't die. They ate of the tree and they didn't immediately die. So what's the deal with all this? God is saying, hey, when you sin, my ways and my plans and the best path for you comes to destruction. When you sin, destruction enters your life things get complicated and things get hard. But when you live things my way, what does the scripture say? It says that God will put his gift of eternal life, life back into your life. Yeah. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I'll take that umbrella. I brought with me this umbrella today because I was praying it would be rain instead of snow. Um, that was a blessing to see this morning. <laughs> no, don't amen that anybody. But I like to explain it this way, you know, is it, what are the consequences of sin? You know, because we love to say in culture like, oh, this is just my thing. This is my thing to overcome my sin. I just it's my thing and I'm, I'm working through it. I'm not truly repentive or trying to change or flee or turn from it. It's just kind of my thing. Yeah. And so what are the consequences of us having like our sinful thing that we keep making excuses for? Well, it works like this. If this is our sin. And God is up here and he wants to pour himself out and he wants to reveal himself to you and he wants to speak to you. And this coming from above, God wants to give you direction and blessing and abundant life and all these things. But we're so serious about holding on to our sin. What we do is we create our own blocks. God is trying to move on our behalf and he's trying to show a way for us. But but because we continue to put up blockages of sin and we walk around, God, why aren't you speaking? God, why aren't you showing God? Why aren't you revealing myself? Because we have all of these blockages of these sins and these hindrances. Now, you might sit here and go, well, is God not powerful enough to speak around my sin and speak around? Of course he is. And that's been a lot of people's testimony is that they've been in the sin of their life and God encountered them. And when God showed himself faithful their life. he can definitely do it. But God's desire more is that we rid ourselves of the sin. On a daily basis where we say, God, take this from my life. I want to hear you and see you clearly. How many are with me today? It's this God. I'm I'm building an altar in my life where I can turn from these ways and directly receive from you. Because sin is a downgrade and it's a hindrance. John Wesley's mom says it this way. Sin is anything that decreases your passion for God. I got this thing, this sin, this attitude, this mindset, this thought life. I have this. And because I have this, it decreases my passion for God. Sin is temporary insanity. Sin is disobedience to our knower. If you've been following God and and he's leading you in your life, you have that knowing on the inside. But then that sin creeps up to, to, to think that way or hold this thing against that person or indulge in this this much. And that sin creeps up and you know it's a disobedience to that knower. We also know that sin is ignoring the screaming voice of the Holy Spirit. Sin is anything that causes us to go astray or miss the mark. Sin causes you to be somebody you don't want to be. Sin puts you on a road that you won't like the destination. Sin is pain delayed. Sin is like a credit card. It feels like each transaction is free until one day you get the bill. This isn't affecting me. This isn't hurting anybody else. This is not a problem. And then one day that destruction, that death finds its way into your life. And you go, how did all of this happen in my life? Because it's just delayed. Are you with me today? So how do we watch out for our sins? What do we do with our sin? How do we battle against our sin? James 1, I'll paraphrase, it says this. says, our thoughts give birth to sin. Every sin starts with a thought. And that's why we gotta be careful about what we watch and what we listen to and what we consume and who we connect with, because it's it's shaping the way that we think. So the battle's in our head and we hear things like, oh, come on, you're missing out. you're a college kid. You should be able to enjoy some of this stuff. You're just missing out. And so a thought begins to happen about compromise. Oh, it's just a little fun. It's not going to hurt anybody. Or, but another one that I see that happens often is people go, well, you know, I know I got these sins and these things happening in my life, but, but at least I'm doing better than that person. And so the best you're going to do is just set the bar one peg above the person down here. Or should we set our standard up at the, uh, of a righteous standard that God's called us to? Are you with me? And so it starts in our head. I thought about Adam and Eve why do you think the snake came in and put something in their head? Snake, the Satan comes in in Genesis and says, has God really said? Because you know what that got their mind doing? Thinking. Oh, yeah. Has God really said that? And they begin to think, I wonder why God doesn't want us to eat it. I wonder what would really happen if we did. Could it really be that bad? Has God really said? And their mind begins racing. Well, what does God tell us to do? Second Corinthians 10.5 says it this way. We demolish. That's a big word. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Listen, you're going to have sinful thoughts. We're sinful people. I don't want you to think, oh, my goodness, I, I, I got to think every pure thought. I, I have to be Mother Teresa. There's no way that I can do it. No, the scripture's saying you're going to have thoughts. You're going to have sinful thoughts. But what you need to do is take those thoughts captive. To take the thought captive here would be like getting a prisoner of war. The reason you would take somebody captive and have them as a prisoner of war, because once they're caught as a prisoner of war, they've become what? Disabled. They're no longer a threat. So the scriptures saying, hey, when you have sinful thoughts, when you have those temptations, you've got to be able to get yourself into a lifestyle where you say, hold on a second thought. I'm taking you captive so that you can be disabled in my life. Can I get an amen today? So Matthew 8 talks about the extremeness of this. Matthew 8, verse 8 says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into eternal life lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet, but be cast into everlasting fire. Verse 9, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It is better for you to enter eternal life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. So we'll take the next 10 minutes, and we're going to get some stuff and chop off some hands (laughs) and do some eye plucking right now. That's not what the scripture means. What the scripture means is, hey, What are the things that you need to be extreme about when it comes to sin in your life? Hey, it's way better for us to have heaven than it is for us to dabble in those things that bring us a little bit of joy and fulfillment, but actually false joy and false fulfillment because it's actually sin and downgrade. It's better to get this. Business. Be extreme. How can you be extreme about avoiding these sins? That's what it says that we need to do. The scripture tells us that it's important for us to hide God's word in our heart so that we might not sin against God. Why do we hide God's word in our heart? We hide it in our heart, one, because it helps us not sin against God. But the reason it's hidden in our heart is because it reminds us that God's way is better. We have all of God's word hidden in our heart. Why? Because when we look upon temptation and sin, we go, nah, that's a downgrade. Why would I want to set up a blockage in my life? God's word is hidden in my heart, and I now understand that his ways are better. Are you with me today? Acts chapter 3, verse 9. I'll close with this. So what do we do with sin? Because we all have sin. Just a whole room full of sinners right now. We all have it. What do we do with sin, though? If God so clearly pointed out sin, like, okay, these are the things that are downgrading our life, and we all have them, whether they be thoughts that we hold against other people, thoughts that we have when we see other people or when we see other things, or maybe it's things that we're looking at, or maybe it is consequences and actions and things that we've we've done to others or in our lives. We, We all have these things. I'm so grateful that God just doesn't leave us there. Like, man, good luck with all that. (laughs) Instead, he's given us this gift, and it is a gift of prayer of repentance. Like, hey, God, I know you're moving in these times. And there is no great moves of God without great moves of repentance. Hold on a second. God, I got to get all this stuff that's clouding. I got to get all this stuff out of the way because your ways are better. So what, what do we do? He gives us repentance, this gift of repentance. Pastor, why do you call it repentance? Because, or why do you call it a gift? Because when we pray, you find freedom. When you pray repentance, that load, that weight, those chains, I believe, come off in our life. This is what Acts chapter three said. It says, repent then and turn to God. That's the turning, the 180. So that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We want to be a part of God's outpouring and the way that he's moving, and we want to be a church in the wild that's making a difference in our community. We want to be all of those things. But in that, we also want to be refreshed. The times of the Lord be refreshed. Well, how do we get that in our life? Scripture says, do some repenting. Amen. Do some, hey, I got some junk in my life. Whole room full of us got some junk that we need to say, you know what, God? Have this. I don't want it anymore. I'm not signing up or subscribing for this downgrade. Yeah. Well, money will make you happy and fame, and if you're the best in your career, and all these kind of things are going to be, I mean, that's all a downgrade. Yeah. It's like we sang earlier all we want is you, God. Yeah. All we want is you. John Kelvin says, The beginning of repentance is the confession of guilt. Cody's going to lead us in a song in just a minute, and I believe it to be a song of repentance. And and, and again, we're not going to do anything weird, have anybody, you know, come to the front or stand up and shout out their sins. I'm not going to bring out a booth and have you come in and tell me your sins. (laughs) We're not doing any of that stuff. But right here where you are in a private place, we're going to do this. We're going to say, hey, God, here's some things that I feel I feel some guilt about. And I want to confess them to you. And I want you to help me repent and turn and change from these things. And I believe that by the Holy Spirit power, he can meet you in that moment. And you can find freedom and deliverance from those things that are holding you. I love this thought. Repentance is an attitude that leads to action. Every single day, you could say, God, forgive me, and then keep sinning the same way. God, forgive me. Oh, I did it again. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Or we could say, hey, today, God, I repent, and I'm asking your forgiveness, but then there's going to be action behind this. Repentance is inner change of heart and mind in an outward change of life. True repentance is personal or it's personal, permanent, painful, but always profitable. True repentance is personal, permanent, painful, but always profitable. So in a moment when we worship, and Cody leads us in the song, we're not going to stand, we're not going to do any of that. I hope we can work through those segments. I hope you make your repentance personal with God. And, and I hope your desires for it to be permanent. And I hope if it goes right, it's even painful a little bit for you to say, God, these are my things. This is the true skeleton in the closet. Can I give you a little trick or a little secret? He already knows. <laughs> he already knows. So just get to that point. But then profitable. I believe leaving here in freedom is going to be profitable. Repentance is nothing else but a reformation of the, our whole life according to the ways or the law of God. True repentance has a double aspect it looks upon things past with a weeping eye and upon things future with a watchful eye, an anticipation of the renewing and the refreshing of what God is going to do. Obedience is the positive side of repentance. That's our desire. We're going to repent and we're going to walk out of here in obedience. Again, there's no great moves of God without people crying out and saying, God, change me, move me, make me into who you called us to be. Amen. The words will be on the screen if you want to read them, but this is going to be a private moment. Just bow your heads, close your eyes, whatever you feel led to do. You might not have any experience in this kind of stuff. That's okay. Just be quiet and let the song sing over you. you say, well, I don't know. What if I get emotional and I'm sitting next to somebody who I don't know? Listen, nobody next to you matters. All that matters is, is God in this moment. Amen. So let's just be worshipful and tender and let God speak to us. And whatever those things are, he puts on your heart to repent. Let's do that. And I believe that refreshing will come over our lives. Amen. Let's worship.
1: God, I'm not here for blessings, oh Jesus, you don't For when I've come with my agenda, I'm sorry. If I forgot that you were enough, God, take me back to where we started. Right now, I open up my heart to you. Oh, far. To you, Jesus, cause I just want you and nothing else God, nothing else, nothing else will do God. I just want you and nothing else, nothing else, God. Nothing else, nothing else will do, Father, I just want you, God, and nothing else, no other thing, Father, and nothing else, no one else, God, nothing else will do, oh, I just want you, Father, and nothing else, give me your desires. God, nothing else, nothing else will do. Oh, God, I just want you. And nothing else, nothing else. Oh, nothing else, Father. Nothing else satisfies like you do. Oh, there's nothing else. There's nothing else, Father. Oh, no distraction, nothing else will do, I want you, Father, oh, how we need you, God, How we and see at your feet oh. oh, Father, give us desire for you and only you, God because there's nothing else nothing else will do Nothing but the blood of Jesus Nothing but the love of Jesus best life, I want to live the life you have for me, God, oh, your word tells us to live a life worthy of the calling you've placed, God, Oh, 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 we need you, God, we need you, Father. I've ignored your Holy Spirit God, I'm sorry When I chose another way Take me back to where we start. God, I open up my heart to you Oh, right now in this moment We just say I just want you And nothing else, nothing else, Father, nothing else will do, I just want you, and nothing else, nothing else, God, nothing else will do.
0: you stay in an attitude of worship. I want to give you the opportunity. You might be here and we can all bow our heads and close our eyes, but you might be here this morning and be like, man, Pastor Josh, I hear what you're saying, but I haven't really lived that kind of life. I I'm, I haven't made Jesus Lord in my life. I haven't put him first. i I'm not even a Christian or, or maybe you are a Christian and you've, you've walked away, but you're feeling a rekindling. You're saying, I, I need to do that. I need to want nothing more than you. I need to put him back first in my life. I want to give you the opportunity to pray a really important prayer. Some people call it the sinner's prayer. Some people call it the prayer of salvation. It's the same thing, but it's, it's everything. It's the ultimate God. I'm sorry. And I repent of these things and I choose you as my Lord and savior. It would be how we would say, hey, that's your conversion. That's where you say, hey, I've made Jesus Lord of my life. You put your faith, hope, and trust in him. I want to give you that opportunity to do that today. Romans talks about it this way. Book of Romans says, in Romans 10, it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're saved here in this life. You're saved from the lifestyle of sin and the hindrances. And and again, we still have things that we continually work through. But now you're saying, my faith, hope, and trust is in God. But also, I believe it changes your eternity. When you say, God, in my heart, I want you. I believe you sent your son Jesus, as Romans lays out. And he died on the cross for me. uh, And you choose him. I believe your eternity changes. Heaven is for you. Your sins are forgiven. Scripture tells us what matters is that you mean it in your heart. We're going to pray this prayer all together. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you, have you come forward or raise your hand or fill any paperwork out, nothing like that at all. But right where you are, if you say, Pastor, I need to pray this prayer. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to put my faith, hope, and trust in him. There's no age limit on it. There's no no, uh, status that goes. Like, this is just you saying, God, I want you, as we just worship, to be number one in my life. I need my sins forgiven. I need to be put on a new path. that's you today, what I'm going to ask you to do is repeat this prayer after me. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have the whole room repeat the prayer after me because we're not going to do anything to single anybody about. But if that's you, you say, that's what I need today. I'm tired of trying to do it my own way. I I need hope and faith and trust in something bigger than myself. Well, I'm here to tell you, that's a savior who died on the cross for you, who overcame death, hell, and the grave so that you don't have to live the way that you've been living. Whether in this room or watching online, If God is speaking and nudging and you feel his presence, if that's you, this prayer is for you. So don't let anything take it away from you. Let's mean it in our heart when we pray this. Let's say, God, all of us together say, God, today I choose you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and help me to walk with you all the days of my life. I believe you sent your son, Jesus, and he died and rose again for me. Thank you for it. In Jesus name. Amen. So I'll give it up to them. Applaud them. Those that prayed that prayer. Yeah. Listen, like one minute or one day or one month from now, the enemy, because I believe there is a devil and there's evil. If you prayed that prayer is going to try to say to you, that didn't mean anything. That doesn't, you fell for that whole religious thing or whatever. No, 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 no. You got a whole room full of people that would stand right up here right in this minute and say, no, the day I prayed that prayer, my life changed, has been forever changed, and I've been made a new person. Are you with me today? So I'm just saying that to say you might have prayed that prayer and thought, no, no, I'm, I'm saying you just remember on this day, whatever it is, March 12, 13, whatever it is, you remember that day my life changed. God set me free. Forgive me of my sins. My eternal destination is different now. Are you with me today? And then for the rest of us, same thing. I want to I just encourage you whatever, you, whatever you laid at the altar as we worshiped, whatever you repented of, you're going to walk out of here and, and the enemy's going to say to you too, oh, nice job repentant of that. But you know, you're still that same person. You're not. We're washed in the blood. We've been made new. Are you with me? And so you just keep contending like, hey, we may have that thought, but I'm going to take it captive and it's going to be disabled in my life. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, we got a free book for you down the hallway past the coffee bar. Just helps you with some of your next steps and what it looks like to follow God. And we encourage you to find a church. We, we would love for it to be here. But if there's something in your area that interests you is a better fit, we encourage you to go there. But get plugged in somewhere and begin to follow God that way. But that book is down in our prayer room, just down the hallway. They're not going to sign you up for anything or just they want to get you that book and help you with your next steps.